start by listening even. I'm going to read out Psalm 103 and I want you to close your eyes possibly and open your ears and hear what Psalm 103 has to say because it's going to be key to what we're looking at today. Um, If you're watching Coralie, don't close your eyes. Um, But Psalm 103 says this, let all that I am Praise the Lord. With my whole heart, I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things that he does for me. He forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord gives righteousness and justice to those who are treated unfairly. He revealed his character to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to anger and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens is above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children tender and compassionate to those who fear him. For he knows how weak we are. He remembers we are only dust. Our days on earth are like grass. Like wildflowers we bloom and die. The wind blows and we are gone, as though we had never been here. But the love of the Lord remains forever with those who fear him. His salvation extends to the children's children, Of those who are faithful to his covenant, of those who obey his commandments, the Lord has made the heavens his throne. From there he rules over everything. Praise the Lord, you angels, you mighty ones who carry out his plans, listening for each of his commands. Yes, praise the Lord, you armies of angels who serve him and do his will. Praise the Lord, everything he has created. Everything in all his kingdom. Let all that I am praise the Lord. So, good morning. Um, We started by listening to that because we're going to come back to it a bit later. Um, But today we're looking at goodness and what it means to be full of goodness. And I've actually subtitled it today... um, Mint jelly in the spirit of God. And we'll kind of get and unpack what that means in a second. And that kind of alludes to the first thing I want to tell you, which is a story about mint jelly. And I've got a jar of mint jelly here with me. And, and Sarah, this isn't the one from the cupboard. I bought my own. Um, And this is 
something that I used to love. Something that I used to have with every roast, and it was like the best part of the roast for me. Until I was about 10 or 11, and then I had this good idea. I had this idea with my mint jelly that I'm going to make a lake of mint jelly. And I'm going to fill a plate with mint jelly after a roast. And then I'm going to eat all of this mint jelly. So I went ahead with my plan after the roast, get the mint jelly, spoon it on, make my lake, and go for, go for the lot. And it was good. However, as many of you parents might know, how this story ends, um, it didn't go so well for the next couple of hours. Sort of started feeling a little, you know, a little uneasy. The whole roast plus mint jelly thing was like, it was a lot. Um, and I ended tasting it a second time. Big time. And to this day, I don't touch it at all, because that taste was not good. Now, the point to that, um, and it's, it's quite an anecdotal story, but the point to it is that actually as individuals, our concepts of what is good in our lives changes over time. Actually as individuals, our concepts of what we think is good, what we like, what we don't like, changes over the course of our lives. And I'm sure we all have examples of that. But what does then that look like on a bigger scale? I'm going to introduce you to a guy. This guy is, and I'm sorry, his name's not on the slide. This guy is Thomas Midgley Jr. And he was a very smart cookie. Um, he was an inventor. He invented a lot of different things to varying levels of success, but I'm going to tell you about one of his inventions. He noticed this problem in cars, this problem of engine knocking, where the fuel doesn't quite burn properly. And he went, I think I can solve this by adding something to the fuel. I think I can make it so the fuel burns more properly, and that actually um, the car doesn't damage itself and disintegrate its own engine through burning fuel improperly. And he tried a few things, and he played around with it, and he eventually landed on tetraethylid. Now, notice that last word. And I'm sorry for the chemistry lesson, but notice the last word, lead. So he added lead to fuel. Thanks, Lloyd. Um, he added lead to fuel. And this was great, this did the job. It stopped engine knocking and it stopped engines from destroying themselves as easily. And this was a good idea, despite, despite some people going, actually, and some of his associate scientists going, this might damage the environment and damage people. Actually, he thought that the, the benefits outweighed the consequences. And the market agreed. And society thought that this was a good idea. But I want to show you a couple of graphs. And if we can get them here. So here, and this will be quick, I promise. Here, we have the, like the levels of atmospheric lead in red in six different US cities. 
Underneath it is the aggravated assault rate in those cities in blue. Because lead, lead affects the mind. And I'm not saying that this is direct like causation, but actually there's some evidence here that this was not a good idea at all. And suddenly, this sort of research came out and society went, no, this isn't a good idea. We need to take this out. Unleaded fuel was born. Hey. Um, the United Nations actually even said this. They said, ridding the world of leaded petrol has resulted in 2.4 trillion in annual benefits, 1.2 million fewer premature deaths, higher overall intelligence, and 58 million fewer crimes. So much for a good idea, right? So why do I tell you that? Well, we also have to look at this as a society, that the things we think are good in a society might not actually turn out to be so good in 30, 50, 70 years. That actually our concept of good in society and as individuals is constantly changing. So our definition of goodness in ourselves is shifting, and the definition of goodness in society changes over time. So what do we base it on? What do we base our concept of goodness on? We're going to have to turn to the Bible, and we're going to have to turn to what God says about goodness, right? To base our idea of goodness on something. And apologies for the feedback. And um, we're going to go to three passages. And I want you to take three fingers, if you've got a physical Bible, and stick them in these three passages. Those are Genesis 1, verse 2, Psalm 103, and Galatians 5, 22 through 23. If you have a, I'm sure there's a digital bookmarking system for those of us on phones. Um, give you a bit of time just to find those. Okay, we're going to start with Genesis 1. They'll, they'll stay there on the screen, or there. Um, so Genesis 1 verse 2 says this line the earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the deep waters and the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters there's a, a key word in that verse that I want to pick out and that's formless and empty um, and I apologise, we're going to go into a little Hebrew. It'll be quick. Um, formless and empty in the Hebrew is said like this. Tohu vavohu. Do you want to say that again with me? Ready? Three, two, one. Tohu vavohu. Okay. Can you kind of see the alliterative thing going on? Like there's, a, there's an alliteration there, which kind of means like wild and waste is a good translation of it to get that same sort of alliteration. Um, we have this meaning sort of like unformed. Things are out of order. But then, through the book of Genesis and through the creation narrative, we see God make things. And what does he call them? Good. good. Yeah, good. And the Hebrew word for good is tov. Three, two, one, tov. 
So, simple, short, and it's tohu vavohu into tov. Right? So, there's a kind of linking and a wordplay going on here, where through this sort of, almost this Hebrew alliteration, almost the first thing that God is revealing about himself is that he's a God who brings things from a state of being out of order to a state of being in order. Actually, he's a God who creatively takes chaos and makes it ordered. Okay? Do you kind of like see what's going on there? So the first thing that I want to take then is that God turns chaos to order and that that is a creative thing and that God calls that good. So just quickly taking an aside from that, what does order from chaos actually look like? Because that's great in this Genesis passage, but that means nothing today, right? We don't really use the terms order from chaos that much. Well, I'd like to posit that take like a song from like 12 musical notes, or a book from 26 letters of the alphabet, or a marriage from two people who are very distant and very far apart, but that becomes a success, or a family from five people who are completely different. Or maybe it's actually coming into a community out of a place of loneliness. So there's these different things that actually, in our lives, we see God bringing order from chaos. And we see chaos turning into order. Okay, so that's, that's Genesis 1 verse 2. We're going to go to Galatians 5 now, 22 through 23. And this says this. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. See, goodness is kind of lumped in here, and I don't want to get dogmatic about this, but um, goodness gets put in a section of the fruit of the Spirit, and I'll run you down a bit. We have these, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, some scholars argue that love, joy, peace is a segment of this fruit that is pointed towards God. And that it actually comes from directly from relationship to God and those things, love, joy, and peace. And that they actually, they are the outworking of that. Then they posit that patience, kindness, and goodness are actually, they're from God, but they're actually for the wider body. They're to be used in a social context. Okay? And then faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control are actually about our self-management and about how we're loving ourselves. So we kind of see here the whole like love God, love each other, love as we love ourselves, right? Um, So goodness is in with patience and kindness in this sort of framework. And if goodness is in with patience and kindness then we need to actually think about what patience and kindness are. 
Because I wouldn't, we can think of goodness as quite a passive trait. We can think of goodness as something that actually we are and we just, we kind of be good. And it's just something that we kind of sit here and it's static. But if we look at kindness and if we look at patience, those things are active. We are kind. We are patient towards other people. Therefore, I'd like to argue that actually goodness might fall into that same group of something that can be done actively. So what I want to say here then is that goodness is in kindness and generosity and as a result, it is an active, outward focus segment of this fruit of the Spirit. Okay? You still with me? Brilliant. Okay. And then last, last but not least, Psalm 103. I didn't warn you about this. There's going to be a quiz. I'm really sorry. So, what I want you to do, we're going to play, does Psalm 103 say? Okay? So, whether you're at home or in the room, I want you to stick your thumb up if you think Psalm 103 said this. And I want you to stick your thumb down if you don't think Psalm 103 said this. And I'm going to read through a list of things, and we're going to see where we get to. Okay? Are we ready? Okay. He forgives all my sins. Does Psalm 103 say it? Does it not say it? Seen a few thumbs. A few thumbs up, yeah? Okay, Psalm 103 does say it. Yeah. So anyone who stuck their thumb up, great. He redeems me from death. Yeah? No? Yep, yep, yep. Pretty, actually pretty across the board. You guys, you guys are listening. Come on. Um, he is Father, Son, and Spirit. Does Psalm 103 say it or does it not say it? Ooh, a lot of thumbs down. Those thumbs down are correct. It doesn't actually say it. Not that that's not true, but just in here, Psalm 103 doesn't say it. He does not deal harshly with us. Uh, ooh, a few thumbs down. It actually did say it. It said he doesn't deal harshly with us in there. Um, the, okay, the God gives us good, robust theology. Does it say it? Does it not say it? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm really glad. I'm really glad that we're there with that one. Um, that God is to be read about. Yes, no, does it say it? Does it not say it? Thumbs down, yep. So, and I'm not, I'm not bashing both of those things. It just doesn't say it in Psalm 103. Um, that he's compassionate and merciful. Does Psalm 103 say it? Does it not say it? Some thumbs. Most of them pointed up. You are correct. Psalm 103 says it. Okay. He fills my life with good things. Yes or no? Yeah. Psalm 103 says it. Loving the thumbs. That is, yeah, you guys were on it today. Come on. Um, so, point here that I'm trying to make though and I'm not digging on our thinking about God and our reading about point, our reading about God but the point that I'm trying to make through that exercise is that Psalm 103 expresses a deep knowledge of God right that person who is writing that knows who God is but they don't know who God is necessarily by reading about him or by having their theology together They know about God 
by their experience of his goodness. They know about God because they can point to moments in their life and in the life of their community and go, this is where God has been good in our lives. This is where God has shown his faithfulness and his goodness. So I'd like to posit that God is not primarily to be known by how we read about him and how we think and theorize about him, but how we experience his goodness. We don't know that God is good by hearing that God is good. We know that God is good because he is good to us, right? We know that God is good because we can see in history where he's been good to us as a community, as the Oval Community Church, to us as individuals throughout our lives. We can see where God has been good, right? And that's how we know that he is good. And that's how we can say that God is good. I'd almost, and I say this in full awareness of the irony because I'm spending three years of my life thinking about God. But I'd say that actually the knowledge of God and the the thinking about God and the theorizing and all the beautifully written books in the world without actually experiencing God's goodness is useless. Like We need to experience God's goodness to know him and know who he is and be able to say God is good. So we have these three things. We have God turning chaos into order and calling it good. We have goodness being shared as an active thing. And we know God is good by our experience of him. So that's kind of understanding the fruit of goodness. Let's just see quickly how this, what role the spirit plays in this. And I'm going to flick to a slide that might scare you, but I'm really quickly going to just run through it, just to make a point. And it's just, maybe it's not that scary, I don't know. Um, It's just asking the question of, where has God called his place of residence? Where does God basically call home? Where does he dwell throughout the Bible? So first we have Eden. He's made Eden. He's brought order out of chaos and he's called it good. And therefore, he is with humanity in that place. So God calls that place home. Then we have the tabernacle, which is this tent that Israel built. And it was right in the middle of their community. And the people of God had basically had God right in the middle of their community. Because in this tent was the presence of God in kind of intensified form. So God was then with his people through the tabernacle. And we have the temple. Basically, these people who now had a tent, now have land of their own, just have to apply for planning permission. They've built a temple. So they've got their temple, and it's a similar concept. Center, like, God is there with the people through the temple. But then we have Jesus. Because actually, if we look back through them, Eden, we messed up. The temple, we messed up. Like the temple was used in ways that it should have never been used. So we, it wasn't enough to actually almost 
for us to become people of goodness. It wasn't enough. So then Jesus comes along, and suddenly we have God with us. God walking, moving, living, breathing among us. And that is how God is with us in the time of Jesus' lifetime. He is primarily with us through the person of Jesus. And he's here on earth, Emmanuel, God with us. But in his death and in his resurrection, he leaves the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. That is now, if we have accepted Christ and called Jesus our King, now dwells in us. Yeah? So God has gone from calling his home Eden to calling his home us. Yeah? I I mean, that makes me excited. Um, So what does this mean for this idea of goodness? Well, in bringing all these strings together, if God is a God who brings order out of chaos, if God is a God who is actively good and sees goodness as something to be pointed towards other people, and if God is a God to be known by how we experience his goodness, then actually we are to be these people of goodness in action. Yeah? And actually, if we don't expect people to know about God's goodness just by telling them why God is good, then why do we expect them to know about Christians because Christians are good? In the same way, people have to experience the goodness that is within us and placed within us. God is calling us as Christians to be this goodness in action. So when we're talking about being full of goodness, because we have the spirit of God in us, if we're Christians, we are full of goodness. It's actually now the question is, are we choosing to offer that goodness to other people? Are we choosing for other people to experience that goodness? I invite the band back up. Um, So we need to choose as Christians to let others see and experience the goodness that is placed within us by the Spirit of God. So we're going to draw this to a close now and we're going to pray for a few different things. Because I realise that actually this idea of us growing into people of goodness and people who, because we are full of goodness, now are giving out isn't like a sudden like, oh, I heard Sim speak on it and now, bloop, out the door, full of goodness. And I'm not saying that I'm full of goodness. If anything, it feels like it's taken me a really long time to get that far with this. But actually, we're not meant to be people that we're not currently. But we are meant to grow. And we are meant to grow into the people that we're going to become. So, and for me, that looks literally like I have a weekly thing that I type up, which is called my weekly MOT. And it's a bunch of questions about my week, just answering them. 
And one of those questions is, am I pointed towards other people? And sometimes I answer that in one sentence, guys. It's, it's dire. But sometimes I do actually write a little more. Um, and it enables me to go, how am I growing? How am I changing and growing to be a person who's actually full of goodness and who is pointed towards other people in that? So, if you haven't experienced this yet, if I'm talking about all this, like, experiencing the goodness of God and knowing that God is good, and you are not in that place, you don't feel like you've ever had that experience, then we'd love to pray with you that you do, that you do meet with God and that you do go, oh, he's good. If you feel like you have experienced God, but actually you feel dry, you feel tired, maybe you're grieving, maybe you just feel lost, then we'd, we'd love to pray for new experience and a new realization of how good God is. And if you feel like at this point, oh, like I know who God is, but my experience of giving out, like I'm not very good at that, I don't want to grow in that, but I, I don't know how to give out goodness. We'd love to pray for that too. And we'd love to walk with you on that and grow with you in that. So those are just three things that if any of those have resonated with you, why not grab even the person next to you and just go, would you pray with me on this? But let's close this together in prayer now as a whole, and then we'll go into a time of response. Father, thank you that you are good. Thank you that you have shown your goodness to us. Thank you for your spirit in us, and I thank you that we can give the goodness that you give to us to others. I pray that you would strengthen us wherever we're at with this. I pray that actually you'd give us grace because we need it. But that you'd lead us on a journey towards the people that you are growing us into. Let us be people who are obviously full of goodness. In your name, Father. Thank you.